Welcome to episode number 15 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast. Today I'm talking to Nicholas in Orlando, Florida. Nicholas is a writer and a teacher who is well known for his expertise in crystals and gemstones. In today's episode, he's going to teach us, at least in part, why crystals impact the human body from a scientific perspective. How cool is that? He's also helping us understand how we can source our crystals ethically. My favorite thread that flows throughout this conversation is that every crystal is a unique being. Just like us, just like humans, the crystals are formed in their own little spot in the earth, someplace on the planet, and they each have a distinct molecular structure, just like we do. Seeing crystals in this way as unique special beings changes the way that we treat them and the way that we shop for them. We inherently want to know their story. We want to know how the crystal was formed, where it came from, who found it, and who dug it up. Or we want to find crystals on our own, whether we're looking at the beach or in our backyard. By default, acquiring crystals in this way is more environmentally conscious, and it better ensures ethical treatment of the miner who found the crystal, because we're looking for rocks with clear stories. The simple idea for today's episode is to ask questions and open the dialogue when we're shopping. We do need to be prepared that we may not get the in-depth answers that we're hoping for, but opening the dialogue is moving the conversation forward, and we should all focus on doing that. For today's show notes, which include a lot of great things, there is a link to a blog post that I wrote about how I personally use crystals to help with anxiety. There's a link to a post with an ever-growing list of shops who specifically focus on ethically sourced crystals. There's a summary of today's episode and links to all of Nicholas's books. You can also watch a video of the live taping of this interview earlier this week, and you'll find all three of Nicholas's simple ideas for helping us navigate this super tough industry. So you can find all of that at fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 15. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. When you described how you can place a crystal near your body, And the stability of the frequency in that crystal can shift the frequency in our body. It just clicked for me. And I thought, oh, wow, that's why that that makes so much sense, because for so long I have had crystals in my life and, and I've thought this is so weird. I feel I do feel a shift in me when I keep them next to me and when I choose different ones at different times, yet I could never really explain why. And I really questioned myself saying, is that really true? It might just be, you know, <laughs> I just, it's, I, I kept thinking it's wacky, but whatever it works. So I'll just keep, keep trying it. And I loved reading 
your book and seeing, oh, wow, there's actually like an explanation for this. So I wondered if you could kick us off with a little bit more of a description, because obviously I butchered what exactly is happening. But could you explain to us what exactly is happening? Like, why do crystals heal our body? Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I want to start this by saying that this is this is a model. This is maybe not um, anything that we can quantify or measure just yet. Um, there's there's a great big amount of what we'll call subtle energy that is not yet measurable. That is probably the the mainstay, I believe, of what's happening with our interaction with crystals. You know, how do we how do we measure the human soul? How do we, you know, quantify an emotion? And you know, there are people out there who do that, but it's largely arbitrary values. So if we start to look at you know the physics of energy on the electromagnetic spectrum, if we start to look at the things we can identify and measure and use them as models for how crystals may work, then it gives us a pathway for understanding what mechanisms can be taking place both in the measurable and the non-measurable. So you know when we pick up a crystal, any crystal at all, so you know maybe I'll pick up this piece of smoky quartz from behind me. It has a very regular rigid structure down to the, the molecular level. Um, every angle is so precise. And that's kind of the exact opposite of what the human being is like. We are, you know, a, an assortment of different molecules and different arrangements and different things that are, um, you know, hopefully working in harmony with one another. But they're also very malleable. Um, quartz is quartz is quartz. No matter how we do it, it's always the same chemical formula. We can have tiny, tiny variations that uh, amount for, um, you know, differences in color and texture and, and you know, some variations in, in crystal form. Um, mostly comprised of the same angles, just slightly distorted. So when we when we start looking at the the regularity, it it is typifying a quality that we might call coherency. So we could think of coherency as the state of everything marching in step. Everything is perfectly okay. synchronized. Okay. Um, and um, a a fundamental property of a coherent field is that it is detectable from further away than an incoherent field. So we could say that it has a higher amplitude, which is uh, maybe a measure of its volume would be a good analogy if we okay. equate it to sound. We use frequency a lot in the woo-woo kind of world, but um, frequency is like the station you set your radio to, amplitude is the volume. So those two knobs are important if you actually want to hear your music. So uh, a higher um, amplitude field is produced by something that's more coherent. And, you know, by our very living biological natures, we're not coherent because your heart has a different function than your liver and your kidneys and your little finger. Um, so, um, you know, in a perfect world, they're all working as, as synchronized as possible, but there's still a, a sea of energies and they're influenced by where we go, what we think, what we're doing, what we've last eaten, who we're with, the colors, the sights, the sounds, the smells all around us. But a crystal is always perfectly a crystal. So when we draw that really coherent field, um, into our incoherent field. I, I introduce the crystal to, to my electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. It starts to teach it how to be more coherent uh, through a process that we call entrainment. The, the higher amplitude field, the one that's louder, kind of um, harmonizes the, the, the lower volume, lower amplitude one with it. So they mm -hmm. start to sync up little by little. And as we make changes in the electromagnetic field, um, this is something that's been observed in, in lab settings, and, um, we understand that uh, even if we can't always predict what, what emotion is um, maybe quantified with what part of our electromagnetic field, which, which end of the spectrum we're, we're dealing with, we know that changes in the electromagnetic field around the body um, affect things like mood and perception, 
which ultimately triggers things like changes in our chemical and electrical state inside. Um, and that starts this whole big chain of reactions within us that affects our metabolism, our catabolism, our, our everything. So we get to this state where um, energy transcends our pathology. And it is absolutely possible to produce measurable results with these sort of external kind of woo-woo things. And although it's not well studied, there are a number of um, promising models that are out there. And this is just, just one model. Um, of course, it doesn't take into account the stuff we can't measure, which is ultimately, I think, more important. Um, but it's, it's just incredible how we can create order out of chaos, which is essentially what a coherent field is doing for us, bringing more order into an otherwise chaotic system. Mm. And, you know, you say chaotic system, it feels like the world growingly becomes more chaotic every day, you know, and I could see how that would be naturally bringing us to anchor into things like the crystals, which bring a little bit of stability in like you said, a very chaotic world. You know, it feels like we're on the precipice almost of beginning to slightly understand these the science behind all of the unseen, unknown things that you're talking about. This energy, we all know there's this energy field that connects all of us. You know, it's like you and I, even though we're on completely opposite sides of the United States right now, there's this energy field that brings us together and connects us, yet we understand so little about it. And it really is exciting to think, I feel like at least we're really at the beginning of what is going to be the unfolding of so much more understanding about this. And it's really cool that you kind of sit in a place where you're already there. You're already understanding and looking at and studying how... how does that energy shift between us and between rocks and minerals? And I just, I love listening to you talk about it because it just, it really brings um, some understanding to something that otherwise is really hard to kind of wrap your, your mind around. Um, for people who are um, either interested in crystals or use crystals already in their lives, you know, we always like to hit on what's one simple idea that people can do in their lives to be more conscious of how it's affecting animals and how it's affecting the earth and, um, you know, just how it's affecting this entire system that we're speaking of that connects us all together that we don't maybe quite understand. Do you have a simple idea that you can share with everybody who's listening? You know, um, the whole idea of like ethically sourced and um, ethical use of crystals is something that's a really complex issue. So I think if I were going to boil it down to a very simple step we can all take, it's ask questions. Um, and that's that that might seem really simple and really passive, but it's it's, we're at the point now where people are starting to have the conversations, but I think people have a romanticized ideal of what ethically mined crystals look like and what ethical mining practices look like and how that it can influence the metaphysical world when, um, I mean, truth be told, it's not the metaphysical world that's putting the greatest amount of strain on the environment through unethical mining practices. It's things like our devices and our mm -hmm. electronics in our home and mm -hmm. the fossil fuels that we use. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are so many sectors where, um, you know, 
the 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 mining issues are much more prevalent but every little thing ultimately matters so you know when we're shopping for crystals start ask questions ask where things came from how they came to be there and i know that the whole idea of a supply chain is kind of mysterious and retailers don't give out their suppliers not just in the metaphysical world but everywhere that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how this works you keep your trade secrets mm-hmm. secrets mm-hmm. Um, but if we start asking questions we can open a dialogue and um, you know, ultimately, the the market serves the people who who fuel the market with money. So, mm-hmm. um, if we want ethically sourced stones, if we want to know where our crystals come from, if we want to know what impact our dollars have, then retailers are going to start um, catering to that. So, you know, start asking questions and and expect a lot of I don't knows or mm-hmm. a lot of I don't know how to answer that. And mm-hmm. I think anyone who's who's doing the best they can with the tools they've got is going to be willing to say they don't know. And I'm sure we'll we'll get more into what that looks like and how it can ultimately impact. But yeah, mm-hmm. ask questions and start to think about the hard stuff. And you'll be surprised by the answers that come when they eventually do turn up. I love that you have that as your simple idea because I think that um, it really is something we can all do, right? We can ask the questions. And, and to your point, I've been asking the questions for a really long time because it's something that's always kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable. And I feel like everyone I've ever talked to has said, I don't know. Like, I I just don't, I don't know. You know, you, you get the crystals, um, at a large rock or gym show. And other than that, you know, kind of people are saying, "I, I just, I don't know. And when I started digging into this a little more a couple of months ago, I really couldn't even find much information on the internet. And, you know, it, it, I came around to you. We met through the Shelter Animal Reiki Association through a presentation you did there in April. And I'm so thankful um, that I heard that presentation and that I've connected with you because you really do understand this world a little deeper than maybe, well, not maybe, probably than most people do. And you know, when you say you ask questions, let's dig into that a little bit more. Like what exactly, um, can we be asking? I know when, um, when I was reading your book, I kind of pulled four different areas out of it that would kind of play into maybe consciously purchasing a crystal. Um, one of them being how environmentally conscious, the mine is. Another one being how the miners are treated within that mine and how ethically they're treated. Um, the supply chain, so how how deep it runs and how many hands it passes through before it gets to you. And then the last one that I had pulled out of there was um, the kind of the this is something I had never even thought of until I read it in your book, but the the personality or the energy that comes from the specific location where that that gemstone grew and how that has a certain frequency to it as well. Um, so those are four kind of areas I pulled out of your mm-hmm. book. And I was thinking maybe we could talk through each one of those and then any others that, that you would add to it. Um, when we think about an environmentally conscious mind, how do we, can you start with actually what the impact is on the earth and then how we think about finding one that might be more environmentally conscious than another? 
Sure. Um, you know, I definitely want to preface this by saying that um, although I studied as much mineral science as I could in college, it was not the only thing I studied. I'm not a geologist. I don't have an advanced degree. I don't, I don't, I don't go visit mines myself on the regular, especially not the big industrial operations. So, you know, a lot of this is going to be stuff that I've gleaned very, very secondhand through reading, mm-hmm. through interviewing others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that all of these things fall under the umbrella of provenance and provenance describes where something comes from and how it came to us from, you know, point of origin to where it has ended up. And, um, you know, it's, it's often a complex web and not a linear chain. So if we start looking at the very beginning, you know, what, what does an ethical mind look like? Well, let's start with what different kinds of minds can look like. And, you know, specifically if we're talking about things that, that come to the crystal healing market, that come to the mineral collection market, um, they're not necessarily the most impactful of mines when it comes to the environment. Sometimes they are, however. Um, these are often smaller operations. Um, you know, if we use the rich mining history of the U.S. as an example, you know, mines occur in a wide range of different environments, in different conditions, at different altitudes, in different soils and bedrocks. Um, and so the, the tools required for digging something out of soft clay are different than the tools required for blasting into a mountain to extract something. Um, you know, there are things that are, um, you know, very low impact environmentally, like sifting through alluvial deposits, things that have been transported by water. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we look at like the, the sapphires in, um, out west, the Yogo sapphires in Montana, you know, they, they sift through like silt and dust and bits of gravel. Um, so there's there's no digging, there's no mining, there's no um, blasting. We're not using you know caustic chemicals either. That's that's a pretty passive thing. And then other times, especially for materials that are more important, we'll say industrially and technologically, um, they can be really really um, harmful processes. I remember one of the the most shocking examples for me when I was in college um, studying geology was um, aluminum. Uh, the the major process, not just for mining aluminum, but extracting it from aluminum ore, the Hans Hero process, um, has horrific environmental ramifications um, to get things out of bauxite ore, which are these uh, aluminum oxides and other things that are kind of all bound up together. And um, you know the the chemical byproducts from that are are, are truly awful. And, you know, the great thing is that it's also really expensive and it's cheaper to recycle aluminum than it is to mine it in the first place and extract it. So, you know, those those are little ways that that we can look at what a mine might look like or the process is used. So um, generally, when we walk into a crystal store, we pick up a stone. We have no way to know what the mining conditions look like. Mm -hmm. Our retailers aren't going to know the chain of supplies long enough that they generally don't. But I'm seeing an increasing trend where we have these tiny operations, people who are fossickers and rockhounds themselves, who are going out and digging materials and tumbling them themselves and cleaning them themselves and bringing them to market. So you might have small batches. The price goes up with this, um, Mm -hmm. but you can get really cool stuff if we if we look at the sort of small scale operations that have really low environmental impact. Mm. Mm. That's, you know, it's interesting because that's a I don't want to call it a trend, um, but it's something I'm noticing in a lot of different industries, these smaller batch producers kind of showing up. And it it's nice because it feels like it covers 
a lot of different concerns. You know, you've you've got like the lower impact to the environment as well as knowing that the people are ethically treated because it's just mm-hmm. such a tiny, tiny little group. Um, I feel like I'm, I've seen it in food and clothing and, you know, a lot of different industries. Um, the, in terms of finding these smaller batch producers, is that something you would say it's just a question you ask when you go into the crystal store? And um, is that something that suppliers are able to kind of hunt down themselves and, and look for? Um, you know, my experience traveling through the U.S. and 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 actually like visiting metaphysical shops all over, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of hit or miss. Some people are really intimately aware of their supply chain and some people aren't. Um, and I don't think one makes us a better human being or a, a, a more spiritually evolved retailer. I think really it's, you know, supply and demand. People um, have access to a certain amount of supply and then their community mm-hmm. demands specific things as well. So, you know, we start by asking questions, you know, magically asking a question doesn't solve the problem. Um, but, you know, especially online through social media, um, I've seen so many small scale operations, you know, people who, who go out through like uh, Australia and California and, um, you know, people who, who dig in remote and not so remote places to find pretty cool stuff and, you know, bring it to market through Instagram. So, you know, there are creative ways that we can source things that we know are being um, ethically mined. Um, I think another thing to consider in the whole um, part of this when it comes to provenance is, you know, go for historic stuff. If it wasn't mined yesterday, chances are, um, you know, it, it's not adding any new environmental mm-hmm. impact except for, you know, the, the carbon cost to get it to you transported from wherever. So, mm-hmm. you know, visit your local rock and mineral shows, go find the, the old school rock hounds who have, you know, no interest in this airy fairy woo woo nonsense. And you'll get great rocks from them for much better prices. Cause the metaphysical markup is a very real thing. Um, and, um, you know, if you get something that's been in a, a private collector's hands for 30, 40, 60 years, um, the mining practices back then were very different than the mining practices of today. So that, that's another alternative route we can go. Oh, that's, that's, um, that's really cool. And I think maybe in the show notes, we could make a list of some of the different ones, different Instagram accounts and things that you know of to just kind of send people in a direction. I think that, um, that would be really helpful. It's bringing up another question that I remember I had for you. My daughter actually wanted to ask this question. Mm. So I've told you my daughter is nine and she is quite drawn to crystals. I think maybe every nine-year-old is. Um, but she, um, when we got your book, she, I found her sitting in the living room or actually, no, she came running down the hallway to me with it. And she said, mom, we just got the most amazing book in the world <laughs> in the mail. And, and then I found her later sitting in the living room, just head in it. She's got all her crystals lined up and, you know, trying to match them up. And, um, she has been dying to go to one of the places where you can mine your own crystals. And that's something that I've always wondered about mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, because it has a bit of a commercial feel to it. Is that something that you generally think is, is pretty, um, environmentally conscious and ethical to do, or is that a little too commercialized and maybe not the best thing to do? Um, you know, no two locations are the same. Um, I remember being a, a kid going into um, like the Carolinas on a family vacation to the Smoky Mountains. And there are those places where you get the, the, the bucket of dirt and you go mm-hmm. to the flume with the water and you've got your, your tray to pan for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 
you find great things in there um, and maybe about 10% of it was local and the rest was all salted. So, you know, they're buying, you know, big batches of raw stones and throwing it in there. So, you know, those beautiful citrines that were really heat treated amethyst for sure didn't come from <laughs> North Carolina or Tennessee or anywhere in that region where we were visiting. Um, so, um, you know, I think some of it is, is very just for the experience. You know, you're, you're having fun doing this thing that's hands-on. Um, but there are places where you can go and dig. You can go to Hot Springs, Arkansas and prepare to get very, very dirty. I'm, I'm, I'm a delicate flower. Mining is not really the, the kind of thing I'm, I'm here for. Friends have gone say you get caked in red clay from head to toe. And you know what? I'm happy to pay for someone else to have dug it and prepared it and give it the acid bath and presented it to me. I'll pay them very well for their labor. Um, but it's certainly something I, I want to do at least once. Um, so you just kind of have to research the area. Sometimes you get real lucky and other times you find a lot of rocks. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And it, it's kind of like everything, right? I, I think a lot of times we can get a feel for it ourselves when we're there, you know, your, your intuition kind of kicks in and says, this doesn't feel quite right. Or yeah, this, this feels good. Um, let's talk about ethically or, um, how miners are treated or yeah. just, just finding a place where, um, miners being children and adults, um, yeah. are, are treated well. Is there any way to kind of dig into that? So, you know, here's, here's the thing that always irks me the most about this. When I see people in metaphysical spaces, having this conversation about rose quartz, um, mm -hmm the the type of labor that brought your rose quartz or your malachite to the market doesn't even come close to the labor that went into bringing the cobalt and other you know valuable metals to market for the devices people are having these conversations on so mm -hmm. if we really want to talk about unethical mining practices and child mm -hmm. labor and mm -hmm. child slaves digging out of the earth then we got to start with like do you really need the newest iphone Mm. Um, <clears throat> so again, it's one of those things where we're, we're kind of deflecting to, uh, a, um, a comparatively lower impact part of the market mm. to mm -hmm. make us feel better for, for being more woke. Mm. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily, um, the answer, but there really are some horrific things that are involved in gemstones. I mean, most of us are going to be familiar with conflict diamonds or blood diamonds. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, if you go to a place like Liberia, Liberia, um, has some pretty um, atrocious mining practices. Liberia has the, the greatest number of amputees in the world because of mm. the way people are, um, uh, we'll say, punished for um, mm. wrongdoings mm -hmm. to the miners, to, mm -hmm. well, to, to the people who control the miners. Mm -hmm. um, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty awful stuff. Um, mm. Jadeite, precious jade that comes from Myanmar or Burma is... Um, something that is just steeped in things like um, horrible labor practices, drug use, um, mm -hmm. all sorts of infectious diseases that are, you know, shared from needle to needle. They give the miners drugs to give them the energy to go out wow. into these horrible conditions. Mm -hmm. So I, again, your, your rose quartz is not the same as the, the, the jade market. I mean, yes, you can buy jade in your metaphysical shop, but chances are it's not this kind of jade. And we've had trade embargoes here in the U S with places like Myanmar for, um, a while to, to try to circumvent this. Um, you know, things like lapis lazuli from Afghanistan. Um, if, if you don't know exactly the, the supply chain and you probably won't, um, you know, you might be buying a beautiful blue gemstone that's supporting the indigenous people, or you might be buying a beautiful blue gemstone that is putting money into the hands of 
arms dealers. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a really complicated question. And so we, we start to ask this question and we start to know like, well, where, where do you get it from? Where do your people get it from? Even if we're not going to get like names, dates, places, we don't need to, mm -hmm. to circumvent the middle people altogether. Um, mm -hmm. But like I, I work um, full time in a metaphysical store here in central Florida. And one of mm -hmm. our favorite suppliers goes to Africa deals with people who are indigenous who do the mining he gives them money in their bare hands mm -hmm. and gets okay. rocks back brings it over polishes it himself and i mean the prices are great because the supply chain is very short but mm -hmm. also like we know when we give him money it is only one link away from the people who actually did the labor and not to the um, you know industrial mining complex mm -hmm. so um you know, have the conversations, expect to be met with a lot of vague answers for a lot of reasons. A lot of retailers just aren't well-informed because when they buy a, a two kilo bag of, you know, tumbled quartz or amethyst, mm -hmm. it's just labeled tumbled in China, mm -hmm. or maybe you'll get a location where it was in mind, but we don't know what those conditions look like. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, another great alternative, of course, go, go instead of to the metaphysical market, to the mineralogical market, look for the rock hounds. Don't, don't talk woo woo stuff to them. They're probably not interested, but they're going to be the ones who can tell you, oh, this comes from this mine in this region of Brazil. And, you know, it's famous for this kind of geology and these are the associated minerals. And this is how we, we get it out of the earth. Um, so, you know, s learn science. It, it's mm -hmm. going to do wonders for you in the, the metaphysical world. You know, as you're, you're saying that I'm picturing how, so let me see first, I don't want to forget to get a list from you of, um, what did you call it? A mineralogical store? Um, well, you know, like if you go to your local rock and mineral show, you're uh -huh. going to have, especially these days, you're going to have an increasing amount of people who are there for metaphysical reasons, but you're going to have people there who are just rock lovers who are there for the science and for the beauty of it. Uh -huh. um, so go hunt down the people who aren't really much interested in, in the mineral, in the metaphysical side of, of minerals. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you've got a better chance of getting your questions answered. Mm. I think it's, that's a really good tip. And it, it, it makes me think of kind of that fourth section that you talk about, which is, for lack of a better word, the personality that comes in the gemstone from the place that it comes from. And it, it feels like that's such a, um, a simple little tip to being mm -hmm. able to understand a little deeper what the story is behind your rock. And to me, I'm picturing myself knowing the story behind it makes me appreciate it even more. And then it becomes something that, um, is even deep, even more deeply a part of my life, which I would imagine has an even stronger energetic impact. Um, so I, I just, I really love that idea of, of seeking out someone who can, who can really look, talk to you from the science side of it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's common, but it doesn't seem common to me in the conversations I've had around crystals before to even think about that, that side of the equation. Yeah. Um, you know, this was something, um, so when I was a freshman in college, I went away to study music at a really prestigious music school and I was randomly assigned because we believe in those sorts of things, right? Coincidence just happened um, <laughs> to work in um, an earth science museum on campus that I didn't know existed. Um, and uh, within a few weeks, I was like given free reign access to the mineral collection, which happened to be um, at the time, it, at one time it was the largest privately held mineral collection in North America. And now it's one of the larger collections in the Southeast that's on public display. Um, and it's in this tiny little unknown building in a corner of campus that nobody pays attention to. So, um, you know, I, I started comparing like, you know, 
I knew quartz, I knew amethyst, but I'd, I'd never held a piece of quartz from Yamanashi, Japan, or one from Serifos Island in Greece, or, you know, all these sorts of things. So I really started like comparing and contrasting, like, um, you know, morphologically, the shapes of them are often differ. Um, they, they give us clues. Sometimes it's the associated minerals, sometimes it's changes in, in color and texture. Um, so one of my favorite minerals is, is rhodonite. And I don't know how well this will turn up for our viewers, um, but I've got three radically different pieces of rhodonite here. So I've got one that's um, you know, lots of black manganese oxide. It's been polished. It's that hot pink that's it's most famous for. This comes from Madagascar. I've got one that's shaped like a little flower, a rosette of bladed crystals. This one's from Peru. Um, and then this one's really spectacular when it's lit up, but my, my favorite piece, one of my most favorite minerals in my entire collection is this gem quality red, like ruby red rhodonite. When it's backlit, the, the color and transparency mm -hmm. are just phenomenal. They come from three totally different regions with very different kinds of um, geological activities happening. And they, they give us a, a different end result. You know, something that was, you know, birthed through uh, an igneous process is going to differ from something that was birthed through metamorphic processes. Um, and these kinds of things, I think, give us a, a layer of understanding the, the, the level of activity of a stone. You can have something like a venturine. A venturine is a granular form of quartz that, that sparkles to use a very mm. non-technical term. Um, <laughs> it can be made by igneous activity, by sedimentary activity, or by metamorphic activity, any of the above. And you get two pieces from different parts of the world. Not only are they gonna have different minerals inside them that result in different colors and textures, but they're also made by different processes. And that, that influences the end result of the stone. You know, I think we are all informed by our environment, uh, mm. whether we are a, 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 a human or a rock or a plant. Um, you know, we're all fundamentally the same as human beings, but we're also very, very different depending on our point of origin and our life stories. It's the same for our rocks. So if we get to know their life stories, um, it, it can give us extraordinary clues as to how they might assist us in our own self-healing. I was just thinking that as you were talking, I was like, gosh, they're, they really are just as unique as every human being. And we all have a story behind us. And at least me, I feel really excited by the idea of going to a rock and gym show and talking to someone about the origin of the rock and just learning everything I possibly could about the science behind it and then taking that knowledge back with me. I, it's really exciting to me. I hope it will be to, <laughs> to others too. Um, it brings me to another question, which is sickly made gemstones. Um, and I don't even know how much this this plays into kind of the healing gemstone world. I know within jewelry, it can be a nice option. I mean, gosh, even within clothing, you know, um, it can be uh, an option to have like a synthetically made fur, for instance. So you're not you're not harming the animal in jewelry. I've, I've seen it a lot. Um, how about in in gemstones used for healing. What's your thought on synthetically made gemstones? I mean, maybe even starting with how they're made, because I honestly don't even know how they're made. And then whether you think they also have the same ability to uh, stabilize our um, frequencies, for lack of a better word. Sure. So um, I think when we talk about uh, man-made stones, we kind of have to look at two broad categories and maybe an honorary third. And the first are those that are truly synthetic um, stones. Um, you know, if you look at something like a, a lab created sapphire ruby has the same chemical, optical and physical properties as a, a nature made ruby, usually of a much higher quality. 
Um, there, there are going to be some differences. You know, if you can magnify, um, if you, if you have the right background and the right equipment, you can definitely see the difference. Um, and then we have things that are simulated stones. They, they only resemble what they're meant to. And you might be using natural materials. You might not be to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these days I see a lot of brightly colored glass being sold as obsidian. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the gemstone world, you have a lot of simulated stones, like simulated, um, opals that are, you know, bits of glass with things beneath them that sparkle that vaguely look like opal. Um, you know, our, our beautiful um, goldstone and opalite are, are great examples of that. And that third category um, are treated stones, things that are, you know, ultimately of natural origin, but have some process overlaid on top of them, or somehow um, we've, we've adjusted them in one manner or another. When it comes to like actual synthetic stones, things that are just totally lab grown, um, I think that the consciousness of the people involved really affects the consciousness of the stone. Because when minerals form in the earth, from a, from a spiritual perspective, my, my understanding of it is that they are all kind of guided and shaped by the consciousness of the geological process, which is ultimately mm -hmm. a part of Gaia, a part of Mother mm -hmm. Earth herself. Mm -hmm. So they're all mm -hmm. kind of born within her mm -hmm. and are cells in her body and therefore contain that spark of her consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now, when we make something in a lab, it doesn't mean that we're divorced from the concept of Mother Earth. There's, there's nothing in our homes that doesn't ultimately come from nature, you know. Mm -hmm plastics and and everything mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. they they start with something that came from nature originally mm -hmm. but you know the more we alter it it's more like we dilute that that consciousness that life force that was originally in it so for me a lot of synthetically made stones um are are beautiful they they work as the electromagnetic um resonators um that we might need them to for for healing but it's like having a really beautiful stained glass window with no light behind it. it it's, mm. it, you can still appreciate its beauty. It still has a use, but there's just some quality missing from it. Mm. Um, when we go into simulated stones, you know, you could be simulating something with plastic. You could be simulating something with glass. You could be simulating something um, with a composite of natural materials crushed together with epoxy poured over them and lots of dye. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, uh, some of these are, are really beautiful, but um, very few, if any, are going to be truly of therapeutic quality. Mm -hmm. And I think um, a, a conversation I've recently started seeing happening online is, is people trying to suggest using man-made and um, uh, simulated stones as an alternative to natural ones. So we're not putting the stress on the environment. But, mm -hmm. you know, this is, this is a red herring. Where do we think those ingredients came from? You know, if you're out there buying opalite instead of opal because opal is expensive and, um, you know, has to be mined and therefore putting stress in the earth, where do we think the silica in, in opalite came from? Um, where do we think all the other, um, you know, extracted compounds that give them their color come from? Mother mm -hmm. nature. So, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately mining is responsible for the beginning part of that too. And, you know, if, if, you're, if you really just love opalite, go for it. Um, it's not a crystal. It is man-made glass. It's the same stuff that's in your windshield. Um, does that mean it can't be used in magic and healing? No, but does it have the same properties as opal? Absolutely not. So, you know, those are the kinds of things we have to think all the way through. So um, I have a handful of synthetically grown materials that I use in my practice, and they're, they're few and far between compared to the natural stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that's ultimately a choice we all have to make. You know, I, I can't afford a large gem quality diamond. So that's just, that's just not happening in my life these days. And I think that's true for many of us. Um, so, you know, maybe there are alternatives, maybe there are natural alternatives, maybe there are synthetic alternatives and that's going to be up for every practitioner to kind of figure out on their own. Mm. It's, it's so complicated, isn't it? Um, just like you said at the beginning and how you, you kind of gave us all this idea of just start questioning. And mm -hmm. I think 
this concept of questioning all the way through. So if, it, if you're going synthetic, then question where the original materials came from. If you're um, in a store and you have an option to buy from a small batch miner, do it, you know, and it's, it's kind of like, I really like thinking about it as every single one of them is a unique living being just like we are. And mm -hmm. so what one crystal is the best for someone down the road may not be the best one for you. And there's really, there can really be this conscious process of going shopping for our own crystals and our own gemstones that really only fit perfectly into our life. And knowing all of the, as much as you possibly can about that unique being really makes it so much more special and, and, um, and also makes your decision for purchasing so much more conscious. Um, I just, I love the thread. I feel like you've been kind mm -hmm. of telling us the whole time. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share on this topic before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I actually have one other alternative for people out there. Okay. Um, you know, we start, we, we've had this whole conversation about buying stones, investing money. You know, when we mm -hmm. buy from small batches of ethically and responsibly sourced stones, they get more and more expensive. And a large part of the reason we don't see more of it is because most most consumers on the market just haven't been, one, aware and two, willing to pay enough. Mm -hmm. um, so there is an alternative to this that kind of circumnavigates the whole part of mm -hmm. the, the market, the actual buying go into your surroundings and find rocks, you know, do that responsibly, you know, obviously don't take from places you shouldn't take. Don't, don't, um, don't endanger your life or the lives of others. <laughs> don't, don't injure the environment yourself. Um, but there is an incredible healing power, a spiritual teaching to be found in every cell of the earth mother. Um, you know, there, there is not one part of your body that is more holy than any other. And it's the same for mother earth. So if you can't afford ethically sourced, large gem quality diamonds and emeralds, go see what's in your backyard, dig, um, you know, walk through the woods, visit the seashore, go into the mountains, go visit the desert. If all you've got is sand, well, guess what? Those are little bits of rock too. Um, get to know the geology of your region. Um, there, you know, virtually all of us live on land that at one point was occupied by indigenous people who are not us. See if we can learn their stories, see if we can honor their uses of stones and the land. And there's this um, growing trend of um, what we call ethnogeology, where um, we're, we're looking at the intersection between the human kingdom and the geological kingdom, often through the landscape, if not through the actual stones that make it up. And you can, you can affect some pretty profound healing from ordinary rocks. Um, last, last year, um, my last real big trip of the year was uh, to England. And everywhere I went, I was picking up rocks. I mean, everywhere. Um, you know, flint is a sacred stone. Chalk is a sacred stone. Sarsen is a sacred stone. These are things that, you know, our most ancient predecessors used in, in their rituals of healing and magic and transformation. So we don't necessarily need to go out and get the most beautifully um, presented piece of deep grape jelly purple amethyst from Uruguay. Um, we, we can use the stuff that's in our backyard and that has the least environmental impact of all. And if you're doing it yourself, you can make sure the miner is being treated ethically, you know, be kind to yourself in the process, drink some water, eat some good food. Um, and I, I don't say that to make light of the very real atrocities that are happening, but if we can make peace with the spirits of the land and the souls of the stones in our backyard, then we can start to 
be more conscious of how the rest of our decisions have impacted Mother Earth. And, you know, we don't want to have this conversation about stones and ethically sourcing them in a way that excludes people who can't afford to do it mm -hmm. or don't have the resources to or just don't have access to people who are willing to, mm -hmm. to go get stones for them in that manner. So there are ways that we can all participate in this. And it doesn't mean that we have to eschew the crystal healing market as a whole. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, consciously connect to Mother Earth in your backyard. You're going to be amazed at the healing that can come through. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I love how that is so accessible to all of us. And also, um, I truly, really, really believe that connecting with the nature around you really ripples into every aspect of your life. I mean, I've seen it in myself, like how slowly I've transformed by just being slightly more conscious of, mm -hmm. of everything around me. And, um, you know, it's, it's bringing to mind these pictures of my daughter when she very first learned how to walk. And in this is, I'm sure with many toddlers, you know, they're, they're paying attention. They're looking at the ground, they're picking everything up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an adult, I remember back then I'd be like, put it down. Put it down you know? <laughs> and, and now I'm just like, oh, wow. You know, really? Yeah. You don't have to put it down if you don't need to, if you're not someplace where you need to put it down, you know, yeah. it's, it's something you can bring with you. And, um, I think as children, we are so much more innately connected to everything around us and she's picking things up that are probably healing for her, you know, and, um, and I should be a little more open to letting her <laughs> bring them all with her. But yeah, I, I really love that. I love that idea. And um, do you have all of your books there with you? I would love to tell everyone um, your books that are available. I'll have them sure. all linked in the show notes as well. But you've yeah. got a lot of really great books, great resources for people. Yeah, for sure. So um, my most recent release was Crystal Basics. Um, and that one just came out uh, earlier this year in Subtitle is The Energetic Healing and Spiritual Power of 200 Gemstones. Um, so brand new release. It's part how-to guide, part A to Z directory, plus a quick reference in the back. So it's like three books in one. Um, great for seasoned pros and, and uh, newbies alike. Um, I have a few other books on crystals that have come out. I've got uh, Stones of the Goddess, which came out last year. Um, probably my, one of the books I've written that's nearest and dearest to my heart. Uh, crystals for Karmic Healing. Um, crystal healing for the heart. And then my very first book was the seven archetypal stones, uh, their spiritual powers and teachings. It's a real deep esoteric dive into these seven kind of mineral masters that have been here to assist humankind for quite a long time. Um, and then I've also got a book on Reiki that uh, has come out. It's called Foundations of Reiki Ryoho, uh, Manual of Shodan and Okuden. So um, it kind of bridges Eastern and Western uh, traditions. Um, and it just came out in Italian uh, a couple months ago. Ooh. So you, if if we've got anyone who's watching from Italy, um, That's you, know, fun. You, can, you can track it down in, in your language as well. That's really fun. Oh, good. Well, I will link to all of these in the show notes. And um, I highly recommend, you know, like I said, I've been reading the newest one recently, and I highly recommend that or any of these others to anyone who's listening. I, I really think you'll enjoy them. So thank you so much for being on today and for for diving into this conversation that I know is not the easiest conversation to have. Um, it's, I just feel so grateful um, that I found you and that you were willing to talk about this and that I've already been able to learn so much from you in just a couple of months that will frame my life. And I hope it will frame some of our listeners' lives too. So thank you again for being on here. 
It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please consider hitting subscribe, rating or reviewing us, telling a friend, any or all of the above truly make a difference. The more people we can reach, the more people I can find to interview and the bigger impact we can make together. Keep an eye on your feed. We'll be back soon with the next episode. Thanks. Bye.